but this bullet actually went through the left arm of my senior non-commissioned officer, Marlon Harper, uh, egg, severed his aorta and then exited out of his chest. And, and the heat of the round actually fused to part of his armor plate, which, so when it ricocheted from him into my thigh, uh, it was, it was like this mangled piece of metal, the size of a fist that just blew out, uh, my inner thigh femoral artery. Wow. Uh, pretty much down to the bone. Hey, 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 it's Andy Petronic, and welcome back to the Andy Petronic Podcast. This is episode number 148, and this is the place where it's my job to talk health, life, and well-being with the foremost leaders in the field, giving you the joy, knowledge, and inspiration you need to live your best life. Coming up today, I'm having a conversation with Josh Mance. But a couple things first. Um, you know, it occurred to me, we're, we're in the middle of the whole life challenge, and it occurred to me that uh, last night I had the opportunity to either hold fast and do a workout at 7 o'clock at night. Typically at 7 o'clock at night, I'm either making dinner or eating dinner, and it just so happened that my wife and, and uh, my family was out. So I was at home alone and I had the opportunity to choose, do I work out and do I get my workout in or do I, do I let it slide and, uh, wind down for the day? And I decided to run an experiment to see whether or not working out that late. Cause typically I don't work out at night, um, because I'm afraid that it will affect my sleep. And so I decided to work out and I did a 15 minute, pretty high intensity workout running and some power cleans with kettlebells. And, uh, you know what? I'm happy to report it did not affect my sleep. It didn't make me not able to go to sleep at a reasonable hour. Like I think nine 45. And, um, you know, I, I just want to encourage anybody out there. Look, there is no wrong answer. When you're in the challenge and you want to hold yourself accountable and you want to be you know, accountable for getting in your workouts, great. Do it. But if, if push comes to shove and it's 7 o'clock at night and you've tried it before and you know that it affects your ability to go to sleep, perhaps it's not worth it. And I, I don't know that anybody has the quote-unquote right answer. I think the answer differs from person to person. And it may even differ from day to day, from person to person. You know, I, w I wish it was more clear cut. I wish it was easier. I wish these answers about things that are for your health and well-being were cut and dry, but they're just not. So you're going to have to experiment for yourself. And I just want to encourage you guys to do that. Experiment. Be willing to try something new. If you've never gotten up first thing in the morning to go do a workout or go do a run at I don't know what, if you normally get up at six, get up at five forty. put your workout clothes on the side of the bed or right next to your door and roll out of bed, put on your workout clothes, go outside, walk for two minutes just to get your head cleared and then do what you're going to do, whatever workout you're going to do. Try it. See what it's like. You got nothing to lose other than it not working. You, you have a rough day, but I think it's worth it. Uh, 
I wanted to uh, remind you guys that if you need ideas for workouts, speaking of workouts, you can go to andypetronic.com forward slash workouts. And there are 33 now, I think, maybe 34 and counting. And they're body weight workouts. They're all doable in under, I'd say on average under 15 minutes. Some are like 10 minutes, 11 minutes. Some are eight minutes. I think there are no, none that are shorter than eight minutes. And um, they all are body weight. They require absolutely no equipment. You can do them in the confines of your living room or a hotel room or office or wherever you happen to be. And um, there are 30, like I said, a bunch of them you can choose from. You, I also put out a newsletter once a month on the first of every month, and it's full of like in- interesting tidbits of the things I'm exploring and, and discovering, and they're health-related, some are emotionally related, some are you know videos, some are movies. Um, most have links or some, ver- some, some pl- other place to go to read more and understand more, but they're very pithy, they're very actionable. And uh, I get a lot of really good feedback from the people that subscribe. So if you, you're interested in getting those, go to andypetronic.com and subscribe. Um, and I've got a few guests I want to tell you about coming up. Dr. Mark Goulston. It's so funny. I have so much trouble with his name. I actually had trouble with his name when he was here for the podcast. Um, he's a psychiatrist. He's written seven books. He's a fascinating man. And he is, he's got this uncanny ability to to help others that seem unhelpable um in fact that's his mission is to is to help people who are suicidal who are you know at the end of their rope um helping them uh, kind of change the way they hear things and change the way they relate to others I've also got Tracy Sundland. He was the original creator of the Rock and Roll Marathon. And that literally changed the framework, changed the foundation of marathons, period, um, in the 90s. And um, yeah, he's a fascinating guy. He's got a ton of experience and stories. So it's a really fun conversation with him. And then I've got Kevin Rose coming up. He's a noted tech investor. Uh, early adopter in lots of things, um, and he's also the creator of a couple of a couple apps that I like. I oh, I use one. Uh, Michael uses the other one. Uh, I use Oak, which is a meditation app, and Michael uses Zero, which is a um, fasting app. But we talk about that. We talk about um, Kevin's also very conscious of the choices he makes in his day-to-day life and he shares a a lot about how he makes those choices he's done a lot of health hacking and health researching and um, we talk a lot about that stuff so those are three really fun guests that are coming up Um, but I want to get back to my guest today because that's what today's all about and my guest today is Josh Mance. Now, you probably haven't heard his name before. He's a, he's a writer. He's an author. He wrote a book. But his big claim to fame, he's died. Yep. I'll just let that one sink in for a second. He has died and come back to life. 15 minutes he spent dead. Without a trace of brain injury, without a trace of brain damage, uh, he remembers every moment up to the moment that he died. And I mean, I mean, just that alone, that subject alone, we, we actually don't get to that until, 
about halfway through the podcast that subject. He was a soldier in Afghanistan. He was a platoon leader. And the 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 events surrounding his uh injury, which was he was shot uh, by a sniper uh were pretty pretty remarkable and the experience itself but a lot of his message now in he does a lot of speaking and and the the subject of his book is really on um influencing others around psychological trauma and adversity We talk about transformation. We talk about his tattoo that says, thou need not swerve the bullet. He got that tattoo before he got shot. What? Thou need not swerve the bullet. Two weeks before he got this shot that took his life, that was the tattoo he got. Uh, (laughs) Crazy stuff. We talk about the poem Invictus. We talk about John Bradshaw and healing the shame that binds you, PTSD, hyper arousal versus hypo arousal. Uh, we talk about some of the things he thought about in his last minutes of life. We talk about the extreme peacefulness of death. There's a lot of really, really profoundly interesting cool stuff in this podcast and I really encourage you guys to listen whether you are interested in dying or not (laughs) and whether you are um, you know you know someone especially if you know someone that might be suffering with any sort of mental trauma or um, disorder Um, Josh has got a lot of uh, experience and a lot of um, advice well he shares a lot about what he's been through and how and how and it's been very helpful for people so i'm not going to keep rambling let's bring him in josh mance let's go but how's everything going man it was great to meet you down in uh in la i really had a time down there it was uh it's great i mean it was so great to have you uh kenny's really done a great job of bringing in really powerful speakers for memorial day the memorial day murph and uh, you just fit the bill, man. I, I don't know how Kenny's going to top himself next time. That's good. That's good. That's good. Let me yeah. just dial it just a tad. I'm still like, I've had to learn all this stuff on my own. And it's right. <laughs> I don't I, know. If, is that cool? Yeah, it's great. It's much better than before. The, 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 the way before you look like you had half a face. Yeah. Right. So I've got this. Hang on. Maybe this will match the daylight a little better. Um, sorry, man. I, <laughs> It's all good. It's all good. That better? Yeah, that's great. It's perfect. All right. Yeah, that's the bad. That's that's great. Perfect. Love it. We're getting there. <laughs> I'm a rookie at this, but yeah, we're getting there. Uh, yeah, no. It, so I I don't know how um, I don't know how Kenny's going to top um, what he's done. You know, having you and having he had a couple. He had a Navy SEAL speak. I don't know if you know Mark Devine, but Mark, uh, not yeah. not Mark Devine, not Mark Devine. Um, Mark Samos speak uh, two years in a row, um, and he's been a bit, bit pretty powerful speaker. So anyway, he's got somebody's got big shoes to fill next year. It, it was funny, man. I, I actually met Kenny at Mark Devine's Unbeatable Mind Summit. Oh, right, that's right. I, I was speaking down there. He was in the crowd. We connected. Um, awesome guy, man. Kenny, yeah. just incredible person. And um, but it was funny the way he prefaced this. He's like, Josh, I'm in a bind. I, I uh, 
I basically inadvertently have set a standard for these events. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Yep. And now I like have to find good speakers to keep coming through. So, (laughs) but it was, it was a pleasure to be part of that, man. What a great team. And you know, you building the foundation for that. Um, it, It was awesome. Yeah, no, it was, um, I've, I've also gotten a little smarter over the years and I don't just automatically do Murph um, because it would put me in the hospital probably. Yeah. So this is the, this is the, this is the most I've scaled it. I think ever, um, you know, doing a mile run. And then I did, I did a, basically a quarter Murph and then uh, another mile run. But um, it just puts yeah. me in, the, puts me in the hurt locker way too much. And it just doesn't like, I get it. I, I get, you want to put yourself in that mindset, but to me, that doesn't serve anyone really. I know I can do that. I, that's easy, yeah. actually. That's the easier route, <laughs> which is strange for me. Um, is to just push through, you know, get through it. And but it, I pay for it for you know two or three weeks. Yep. Yep. It, it, you know, Kenny and I were actually talking about that a lot. Is he's kind of looking to sort of change the dynamics a little bit of of uh, you know how he approaches that population down there and. And man, like, like for me, you know, I feel like right now I'm in the best shape of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I'm also the most internally focused. I don't feel like I'm competing with anyone except myself. Right. Um, and, and I don't feel like I'm doing that. Uh, I feel like I'm doing it in the right way. You know, I, that, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's not about like killing yourself every time and, and that's counterproductive and you get hurt and, um, I don't know. I've, I've just, I've, I've shifted for sure uh, over the last couple of years and kind of in this more for lifetime wellness and fitness and just the mentality that it brings going with that, you know? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? You know, I don't know when that flips for people, but I know it does. I, I, I don't think that's a, well, I shouldn't say that I know that it's universal because I don't know that it's universal, but um, it's certainly flipped for me. You know, when I first started doing high intensity, hard workouts, and even back when I was a Marine and, you know, there wasn't a thought that I was doing this for longevity or for health. I was just like, I'm doing this because I'm doing this and this is awesome. You know, I would run through the Navy SEAL uh, confidence course and I'd flip myself right over the top of the 50 foot cargo net at the top, you know, like not really thinking what might be the consequences of missing on the other side. Now it's like. Jesus, I wouldn't, I think I'd be terrified to even just crawl over the top of that damn thing. So, um, it's crazy how that shifts, you know? You know, know, I was just having a conversation about this yesterday with, um, I I honestly, oh, oh, you know, it was, uh, a a guy that I ran into, we got in a conversation and I, I, I realized like, honestly, man, I, I, I didn't really learn how to squat the right way. I, I, until probably like four years ago, huh. <laughs> you know, right. <clears throat> and I, I had to totally learn to reteach myself all those bad habits. And it, it wasn't like I was trying to have bad habits, but I, you know, I remember the high school days of the football coach just pushing more weight, more weight forms terrible. Yep. We didn't know any better. Right. It, you know, and it's, it's like, um, you know, you, you really have to like check your ego at some point for longevity. And, and, and I, I basically had to start from scratch, you know, perfect form, lightweight, higher reps. Mm-hmm. And, and you just dominate that. And, and, you know, you realize 
I realized at least that, that, that doing that put me in far better condition, far better shape and, and a far better mentality internally. You know, when I, when I kind of shut off the outside world and, and just really focused on, um, the right way to do these things. Well, I mean, that, that there's such a, uh, transference of that mindset and mentality to, you know, other things in life. You know, it's getting thrown off your game in a sport or heck, you could even say in the military when you're out on a patrol because of the way your enemy or your, 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 the opposite team is, is, is acting like focusing on what they're doing versus on what you know, or your, are your good operating procedures, you know, like the way the kids play baseball, focus on our game, not on what the other team's doing on how many score how many runs they're scoring or even who they are doesn't matter who they are we play our yep. game yep because <laughs> if you don't you're 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 taking that that mental energy that emotional energy away from optimizing yourself right and, yeah and it's it's like i i i used to always get into that trap of i feel more tired working out with a group because inadvertently i'd be like feel like i'm comparing myself to the group or pushing myself too hard at the wrong moment right 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 you know what i'm 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 just sucking wind and yet if 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 you, when when we train ourselves to really optimize our own performance yep and, and coming from that place you know it, that doesn't mean negate everyone else you know use that as a perspective as a guide as a lens right but but it's it's like uh, i don't know it, it was a huge shift a huge shift for me over the past couple of years. That's cool. That's cool. Well, um, I just like to say thank you for agreeing to do this and be here and for everything that you're doing in the world. You know, I was very touched and inspired. Well, I don't know if inspired. It's hard to, I've never heard anybody speak that has had an experience like you have. And I mean, it's, it's inspiring in the sense that, gosh, I hope that I can survive for 15 minutes dead and then wake back up. Um, so I, I, but I can't really be inspired to do that. You know, uh, <laughs> I can be inspired by what you're doing post that, you know, and how you're, have you, how you've set your life up to serve others. Um, uh, but yeah, it's just very moving hearing your, hearing you speak. I, I, I appreciate that. Andy. um, you know, it, it's uh, one of the things that's kind of evolved over the years is is that it, it's 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 not about the experiences that we endure per se, because uh, you know the 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 nature of those can be very very different person to person, uh, but but the things that manifest from them emotionally, mentally can be very similar, and you know wh- where I really find beauty within the darkness, you know, our, our most adverse experiences is when we're, we're able to internalize them, grow from them, and then ultimately be able to, to apply it to the lives of other people mm-hmm. um, so, so that they can garner something from it as well. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's just where I find kind of the greatest value in the work that I'm doing now and feel fortunate to do it. How, it wasn't always that way, though. Like, how do you how do you do that with the kind of experience you had? You know, like for anybody else out there that doesn't know, well, heck, I will have introduced you in the beginning of this podcast, so people will know if, if they've made it this far. You know what you what you went through. Um, I read your book, by the way. I, I got 
well, I didn't quite finish, but I'm almost I'm almost done. I got to the point where you had just gone in to see your therapist um, oh, right on. for yeah. the first time, and uh, I think what, is it? It's a she, right? Vic? Is it Vic? Yep, her name was Vic Bruner. Vic. Um, yeah, so that's that's where I am in the story. But um, what an amazing, interesting experience! Because I was I was struck by the fact that you said you were spending. What did you say? Ten hours for every minute of your of your talk when you were doing the speaking when you first started, like the amount of preparation you were doing to make sure that your talk was dialed in was an. I'm like, oh my gosh, no wonder, no wonder I'm not speaking yet. I don't want to do that. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you know, as here's the thing, like, like with and there's a lot in what you just said right there it, it, it's like when it comes to the the reason that I continue to speak professionally is um I I, I, I look at it as uh, you know every opportunity is is really a strategic engagement right um if you and I are talking one-on-one for 20 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour uh, there there's a good chance that I'll be able to convey a point you'll be able to internalize it you know, through that dialectic back and forth. And that's great. But in the span of that one hour, we've impacted one person, right? Right, right. And when you're speaking, right, that could be a thousand people in the crowd. It could be 5,000. It could be a couple hundred. It could be a gym full at CrossFit LA, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Right. And the point is like in that same time span, you're able to influence the lives of of many more people, just exponentially so. Mm And as I, as I, everywhere that I go, everywhere that I travel, uh, every audience that I speak with, I, I, I continue to get the sense that uh, people in general are, are craving permission to be able to look at uh, this topic of psychological trauma and adversity through a very different lens. And, and I kind of look at what I do as, as trying to give them permission to do that. Because um, it's still a topic that's widely stigmatized, widely misunderstood, uh, yet it compromises and is infused with every facet of our lives to, to some degree for, for, for all of us. Do you find that the way in for you, given your story, is, I mean, the hook, because I, well, I'll just tell you, the hook for me was this guy survived being dead for 15 minutes. Right. You know, mm-hmm. that, that was an unbelievable, compelling I mean, and I certainly want to get into that, um, but that that makes you unquestionably qualified to talk about some pretty deep stuff. Um, right. But I think what you're talking about now has a, a way broader um, audience. You know, like how many people are going to go through a near-death experience? You know, I know we all want to be hopeful that that there is something on the other side and that there's you know we we all really like that but man the stuff you're talking about now is the 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 reach and the number of people that are suffering from trauma of various kinds i mean you can see it in the in the news reports last week that you know when anthony bourdain and and kate spade both took their lives they they didn't go through half of what you've been through but they did they did what you just said right there is so critically important um, and that actually, <laughs> so the, the, the challenge with this story, right? Yes, the near-death experience is a, a very captivating thing for anyone. You know, um, it, it's it's kind of a flashy 
shiny objects. Right. You know, right. It's, it's, it's something that tends to fascinate people just because of the nature of it. Um, the challenge with that, though, is, is that I, you know, even in writing this this book, right, I, I, I never wanted to write a book just about that. Right. Um, right. Could have. Right. Certainly. But it, it, it's I wanted to be able to find a way to use that experience to, to impact the lives of others uh, in, in, in some way. And the tricky part of doing that is for years, you know, I got similar responses to what you just said right there, that, that after this talk, uh, people would come up to me and start the conversation by saying, Josh, I've never been through anything like what you've been through, but dot, dot, dot. Yeah. And then they finish their story. And, and I knew that they were just trying to be humble. In, in most cases, I respect humility. I believe it's the, the greatest quality any of us can possess. Uh, however, in, 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 when it comes to psychological trauma, you know, we, we have a natural tendency to compare ourselves to other people, to other human beings. And if we do that in, in the lens of trauma and adversity, it, 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 we inadvertently tend to minimize our own experiences by doing that. Yeah. You know, and, and let's remember that, that trauma isn't always what it seems. You know, the, the near-death experience seems to many like it might be the holy grail of, of trauma like how could it get any worse than that right and but i'm also the guy that can tell you that that was the least of it for me you know for other people maybe a different story right but trauma is very relative um it it, 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 it for me it, it, it doesn't discriminate um it, you know it, it was the experiences of losing my father when i was seven uh the totality of deployment to baghdad uh, relationship failures, divorce, financial distress, and being an entrepreneur, right? Th- there are the things that we experience day in, day out, right, are, are, are as psychologically, emotionally, mentally as devastating as uh, this near-death experience. And, and in fact, that was the easy part for me, <laughs> you know, a very positive experience in, in many different ways. But it doesn't seem like that on the surface. And, and that's, that's where it gets tricky with this topic. Is it positive only now in hindsight? Um, it, it, it was... <clears throat> that's a great question. Um, <clears throat> when, we, when we talk about what, what I would call peak experiences, right? A, a, an experience that, that has the power to dislodge us from our past constructs of the world, right? And if we, if we take a moment to define how I view trauma and adversity, it's a, a traumatic experience is a situation or event that fundamentally disrupts the way we believe the world should work, mm-hmm. right? And when our perception of the world gets flipped upside down, it can compromise the way we feel about ourselves. Yep. The, the, you know, not just near-death experiences, right? But But things like rites of passages, uh, traumatic experiences or extreme adversity in general. Um, you know, we have powerful dream states that, that can invoke like a disruption in the way we think. Psychedelic states of certain kinds, when they're done right, um, can, can, can really like punch through that next bubble of consciousness and allow us or open the door to transcend to a completely different perspective in the world. The problem is, it's, it's not necessarily about the experience. It's about our ability to integrate the experience after right. it occurs and, and, and learn what that means to us in the present day, 
right? You know, many of us have, and I struggled with that, with this near-death experience. It was, it was this profound thing that there was, there was so much to it, yet I didn't know what to make of that. <laughs> and right. and as, as I kind of stumbled through this journey for 10 years afterwards, I, I found myself um, naturally falling into a trap that many of us do, which is, which is trying to apply who I was before to the present day, mm-hmm. right? It's like trying to fit, trying to fit the square in the round hole, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And the, the, the real journey, the real process was learning what that meant to me in the present day and ultimately learning to accept the death of my old self so I could fully live in the present moment. And, and by death, I, 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 I don't mean that in the sense of like actual near death experience, right? I, I mean it much more uh, almost in a meta- metaphysical sense, right? Yep. <clears throat> How is the current Josh different than the old Josh? Like what, what is it that's different? Um, the, the biggest thing that I can point to um, – is you know many of us, especially your audience, your listeners, right? Uh, High-performing audience, you know, people who uh, have a desire to make an impact to the world and influence the lives of others in whatever way that is. Uh, but but when we push that too hard, when we when we go too long, it, it, there, there's a risk of losing who we are mm-hmm. in in that process. Um, and for example, like like work and I don't want to call it just work but even following our passions to some degree can become a very powerful form of an addiction mm-hmm. you know and and for me personally I again not realizing this in the moment but all, all of I, I discuss now it is retrospective uh, but with all the best of intentions you know I took this near-death experience and you know four months later I'm, I'm going back to Baghdad <laughs> you know right. like right pulling off this impossible thing. I was pulling staples out of my leg with a Leatherman. I was pulling <laughs> stuff out of my medical records, you know? Sounds like something uh, I would probably have attempted too. I could, yeah, very, I could very much relate to your story and wanting to be back to your men. Right? Yeah. And, and I, I think many of us can in, in our own ways, right? There's, there's that desire to be part of that team no matter what, you know? And the problem is there was also uh, some very deep-seated uh, levels of guilt and shame that were starting to take hold uh, that I wasn't even aware of. And w- what happened over the next couple of years, especially as I entered the speaking circuit, you know, the, this, this thing really kicked off while I was a, a, an aide to a general officer in the army, uh, while I was doing multiple other jobs. And I, I kind of took on the, the added responsibility of sharing this story publicly less than two hour, two day, two years after the injury. And that was like 200 talks in the span of a year and a half, two wow. years. Um, so it, the, the, the challenge with that is that, you know, through that process, I, I, that story almost became a shield that I was hiding behind inadvertently. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the much deeper aspects of myself were being lost. And, and that's where it turned dangerous for quite a while. Pardon this interruption, but I want to remind you that one of the best ways you can affect your day is to not have to think about lunch or not even have to think about dinner. Why? 
because you've got your meals, your lunches, your dinners, maybe even your breakfasts delivered to you right to your doorstep from The Good Kitchen. They are provide they would provide you with sustainably sourced organic food that is uh, just delicious. It's pre- everything's pre-prepared, so there's no preparation. You may need to heat it up. I don't necessarily, but you, you may want to. And it it just makes life simple. It eliminates the thinking. And it's been one of the greatest things I've ever done for myself. The meals get delivered once every two weeks in a, in a box. Everything is recyclable in the box. And uh, it sits in my fridge. It's va- they're vacuum sealed. It they're a, they are a game changer. Seriously, people. So um, check it out. If you've never ordered from them before, get fifteen percent off your first order. Just use the link thegoodkitchen.com forward slash wlc. The good thegoodkitchen.com forward slash wlc. And um, that's it. Let's get back to the show. Was it mechanical? Was it almost a mechanical thing? Like, I'm going to be good at this and here's, you know, like, did that become kind of the way you approached it? it, it you know, it, it was it was like many of us, right? It, it was done with all the best of intentions. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, that, that this story had the capacity to impact the lives of other people. Uh, and I felt a, a, a powerful responsibility to do that. Um, because here I was coming back from this impossible near death experience, dead for 15 minutes, uh, no brain damage, no loss of limbs, full recovery. There, there was a lot about that that didn't make sense. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. And surely I felt that I, I had a responsibility to do something with that, you know? And what happened is, uh, you know, over the next several years, I, I, I put so much emphasis on, uh, helping other people that I lost myself in the process. And, and the, the key difference to get back to your original question of how, what's changed now is uh, I, there's a difference between doing things like that because we need to, to cover up some kind of internal void or, or suppress guilt or shame. You know, what better way to suppress my own guilt than by making a profound difference in the lives of others. Hmm. Right. Right. And it's, it's, it's like, was I doing that because I needed to do it to suppress that void, to run away from myself? Or was I doing it because I truly wanted to do it right. because it was really emanating from the right place? The former is destructive. The latter is sustainable. Right. And, and that's been the biggest internal shift is, is, uh, uncovering the root cause of all of this, uh, psychological trauma integrating it into my life and, and, and now uh, having the strength where I know that's emanating from a sustainable place for the right reasons. How do you know when you're um, doing it, that you're doing that, that you're doing it out of need rather than want in order to shift it? Like, do, do you have to go through some sort of breakdown in order for that shift to occur is that, mm-hmm. do you think, do you think that's, I mean, I know that obviously that happened with you. Do you think yeah. that's required? You know, I, 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 th- I think there's a, uh, there, there, there's a place that each individual needs to reach in order to face the truth. Uh, and 
that absolutely happened for me, not just once, but multiple times uh, of, of increasing severity mm-hmm. over, over a couple year period um, that r- really pushed me to, to maybe what spiritual teacher Ed Cartole might consider a limit situation, right? Uh, a place where we truly feel like we have lost everything, complete fog, complete loss of sense of self and who we are. And it was it was through that fog that that the truth finally started to emerge years later. Uh, after a lot of pain, and I, I kind of joke around that the universe had to slap me around enough until I finally got the hint. Yep. And that, that hint ultimately came down to this word surrender. <laughs> wow. You know, I, I think you, you may remember in the, in the talk uh, down in SoCal a couple weeks ago, uh, I described that, that feeling of dying, that, that, that precise transition point from life to death as a feeling of complete and absolute surrender to something much greater than ourselves. And, and, and through that was just an overwhelming sense of peace, you know, where everything good and bad just fell away and, and became part of everything and nothing at, at the same time. And what's interesting is is that back then, ten years ago, that experience was kind of forced upon me, <laughs> right? Yeah. And what I've learned over the over the last ten years is 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 that the the real beauty of life, the challenge of it, was actually reaching that point of surrender again, hmm. consciously, voluntarily. Right. 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 And it's it's like what what is um, what does the word surrender really mean? <laughs> You know, I, I, I struggled with that for a long time, especially people who are, uh, you know, like us that, that are, are wanting to, to drive change. And, and uh, you know, does, does surrender mean just kick back, relax and let, yeah. let happen what happens? Well, we'll no. You know, and, and the, the best definition I got of this was actually speaking with Mark Devine, uh, you know, of, of unbeatable mind. And we kind of got in this deep talk after a talk uh, about uh, about this word surrender. And he turned to me and said, you know, Josh, surrender just means not being attached to the outcome. Right. You know, so, so, so ferociously and relentlessly pursue that which we believe in and that which we're passionate about. But do we have the strength to adjust and respond and remain resilient when the outcome isn't what we expected? You know, and, and that, that's, that's kind of been the full circle true journey throughout this process. Yeah, because life has a way of, continuing to slap you around um whether you're attached to the outcome or not life slaps you around Um, right but the more able you are to do that that's i like that definition that's a great definition um because the more you're able to access your inner guidance your values your your definition of your own success in your life who who are you the more likely you are to be able to um, not get, not capsize. <laughs> I keep, I have this vision. I used to, I used to paddle out rigger canoes and uh, those are the canoes the Hawaiians use with a, it's a canoe, six person canoe. And that's, they've got these things called amas that go out to a stabilizer. Um, okay. And uh, wait, the akus are called the, the things. And then the ama is the, stabilizer that keeps it from flipping over constantly in the ocean but it can flip over and uh you've got to be adept at a team as a team of six people to keep the thing moving 
use the forces of nature in your favor and um, be attuned to making adjustments as you you go and not flip flip over and the you know the more novice boat you're in and the more novice a steers person you have the more likely it is that he makes the wrong move at the wrong time and you guys make the wrong move at the wrong time and the whole boat just goes hooli it's called hooli it's called hooliing um which is which makes it very exciting and fun um but certainly doesn't win you any races so um, (laughs) (laughs) well you know you bring up a great point with that analogy it's uh because I don't know that I fully answered this, but he asked, well, how do you know when you're, when you're going through this, if you haven't walked it before? Yeah. And, um, you know, the truth is I didn't know, um, you know, again, all of this was being done with, with pure intent. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was walking towards the edge of a cliff and didn't know it. And there was, again, I can look back retrospectively and there were people in my life uh, very few, but there were people in my life who were very close to me who did pick up on subtle warning signs, subtle indicators. Yep. Uh, they had the strength and the courage to approach me to have a potentially uncomfortable conversation and kind of draw that behavior to my attention. Uh, I also had the courage to listen. Right. You know, and, right. and it's it's a two way street. And as we talk about the power of human connection, the relationships that we share between one another, uh, there are some points in our lives where the people closest to us may know more about us than we know about ourselves Yeah. In, in, the, in the moment. And even in those situations, if I didn't fully agree with what they were saying, um, or if I couldn't fully comprehend or internalize what they were saying, I, I still allowed myself to remain open to it, mm-hmm. uh, which was so important because what that did, it, it, it sort of opened the door in my mind to allow a seed to be planted yeah. that would start to grow when the time counted. You know, when I was in crisis, those were the things that I fell back on in the darkest moments that, that I couldn't erase, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it, it, so it's, it's like those backstops, the, the, the team of the boat, right? Like there's, there's certain things that you need to learn on your own. To, to really internalize it, yet yet relying on the power of the people around you for that perspective yep. uh, can be the thing that stops you or the entire group from capsizing, right? Well, and, <laughs> and I don't want to lose, you know, one thing you said, which, which is, you know, the importance of your willingness to listen. Because I think that very, there's so many people in the world, the world is full of advice givers. Uh, yep. the world, Facebook is full of advice givers. Instagram is full of advice givers. And I mean, you know, I, I know this because I was one and I, I, I still am at to some point. I mean, if you're a coach or you're working with other people, they're, they're asking for advice. So you're giving advice. But one of the things that I've learned over the years of doing this is I do my best. I don't always live up to this, but I do my best to offer my, my, advice when someone wants to listen and mm-hmm. not right. um <laughs> not get hooked into my need to tell them what they need to do to be okay in spite of them wanting to listen or what are not wanting to listen and right. it can be very very hard in the advice giving business to to learn to hold back when there's just no listening and, or you don't even know if there's listening or not. Like you said, you may not have been ready to take an action 
based on what you heard, but there was a seed planted. And, you know, I used to not, I used to never take that into consideration uh, when I was, if somebody didn't do what I said to do, I'd write them off. You know, uh, they don't, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to do it. You know, F them. And, you know, they're just not real willing to, you know, walk through fire to, to get there. And that's not necessarily true. They might not have been ready in that moment and they might need to uh, do it their way. But, you know, being willing to listen is a big part of that. It's a, it's a relationship that you have with other other person. And there's gotta be two willing parties. Yep. (laughs) Man, that's a, that's a huge uh, point. And it, it can be incredibly frustrating as as a coach, as a yeah. mentor, as a parent. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Totally. Um, in a re- in a relationship with your spouse or your significant other, right? There are, um, you know, it kind of comes down to this this idea that that transformation ultimately is an internal process. You know, we have to be willing and ready uh, to be able to 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 take that initiative on our own, um, it's not a journey that we need to take alone, you know. And and that that perspective and support we get from others can can catalyze that so much more. Yet we cannot force people to transform. Yeah. And you know, as frustrating as that is, as as say a, a coach, right, or, or a parent, right, it, it's it, it becomes even more severe and. And challenging if, if we're if we're working with somebody who is uh, dealing with a severe substance use problem or addiction or are severely traumatized and 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 can't seem like you can get through to them, mm-hmm. right? They can be incredibly devastating for the person trying to help because you legitimately love them, you care about them, you yep. want them to do well. You can see it clear as day. Um, but in situations like that, sometimes the only thing you can do is try to set the conditions for that individual to reach out when they're ready, you know, and that, that takes a great deal of patience. It takes faith um, and, and kind of trusting in, in the, in the core being of who they are. Right. Yep. <clears throat> Absolutely. And, and can feel helpless. Like it's a hard thing to watch, you know, um, Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. it's hard to watch. Hey, I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, yeah. Your tattoo, thou need not swerve the bullet. That's unbelievable. I, will you tell tell everybody about that? And I mean, can, can you roll? Is it on your arm? Where is that? Where is that tattoo? Yeah, it's here. Let me see if I can. I have to take my shirt off. <laughs> <laughs> Can't well, say I've done this on a podcast before. <laughs> Let me see if I can show it. Yeah, this won't work with the. Well, whatever. I don't care. Let's see it. Um, Ladies, ladies, hide your eyes, or maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Only Andy can get me to strip during a podcast. I love it. Do I need music? Yeah, we should get some good music. But um, yeah, I don't know if you can see it, but uh, there's a line there that that says, "Thou no. need not swerve the bullet." Jeez, Louise! Right? Yeah, and this. Like uh, this whole thing here is a it's 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 a vulture, a spear, a trident, all yeah. symbols of every the god of war. Right. And, um. So funny story behind this tattoo. First of all, that, that uh, how this kind of all went down is I was in in Baghdad, and you know, twenty three years old, leading an infantry platoon, 
and I, I there, there, there's so much to this, man. And, and it's literally the meaning of that has evolved for me over time, just as the story has. Um, and, you know, one thing that I talk about in the first responder professions, military, police, um, people who are living in chronic states of, of adverse experiences or trauma. This could be a spouse who's being abused perpetually. This could be uh, a kid that's living in an inner city, you know. Uh, chronic trauma, continuous trauma. Yeah. When it comes to military and first responders, using them as an example, we, you know, one of the one of the challenges coming back from these environments is emotional numbness or emotional withdrawal, uh, and and you know that can leave us feeling very isolated, uh, defective as human beings that that we can't access these emotions. We just feel dead, numb, that we can't enjoy anything. And the thing is, when, when we're in chronic states of trauma like that, we have to learn how to suppress emotion, not only to survive, but to thrive within those environments. And I, I, I'll tell you that I was at my tactical best when I was the most emotionally numb yeah. in that environment, right? I, I, I hated calling home to my family. Uh, I loved my family, but I, I couldn't handle the emotional fluctuation that it took to shift from combat to suddenly trying to turn on this other switch. Um, I hated going to memorial services to honor our fallen. Uh, it wasn't that I didn't want to honor them. It, it's, it's that I couldn't handle the emotional fluctuation as much. It's a hard thing to do. Uh, and the thought is that I'll turn those emotions on later. You know, I'll, I'll honor our fallen later mm-hmm. when I get back. And it, it's, it's unfortunately just not that easy. It, it's, a, it's a process to learn to re-engage with those things. The first indicator of this, which I can actually vividly remember, uh, is was a point in Baghdad when we were driving down uh, a road that was known to be a very high threat of roadside bombs and improvised explosive devices. And we would get hit with these bombs on a daily basis. Um, I was exposed to one blast. I was in, I was in an armored vehicle uh, that weighed about 15 or 20 tons. Like a Bradley? Yep, a Bradley, and and, and the uh, a, a little cinder block sized roadside bomb threw that vehicle clean off the road, <laughs> you know, wow. like it like it was a tin can, and it was just the most horrendous explosions, right? So, so these things are everywhere. Uh, the problem is you can't see them, right? They're yeah. they're buried in trash, or you know, and you either have to do one of two things. You know, sometimes you just sort of have to take the risk and keep going knowing that there's a threat there, or I could, you know, cower back on my base and not go out into the sector at all, mm-hmm. you know, and just continuously it's stalled out because of the threat. So when we're in a perpetual threatening environment like that, you know, we kind of just learn to suppress that fear and just sort of be like, let's go, you know? And I remember this one time we were driving down the road and my lead vehicle says, stop. He calls over the radio, stop. And, you know, I look around and and sure enough, to my right was every indication of an improvised explosive device sitting right to my right. Uh, And had that thing blown up, every one of us would have been killed instantly, vaporized. And I remember in that moment, there was no way out of the situation. I just remember looking at it and staring it down and and, and daring it to blow up. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Blow up. Go ahead. Right. Yeah. And, and it was in that moment where you kind of almost accept death and you feel larger than life. And there, there's almost a freedom in that 
<laughs> right hmm. in in the moment and it, it, it kind of though it, uh, leaving off of that almost complete fearlessness I, I went home a couple weeks later for a leave and and that's when I had this tattoo uh, placed on my arm like this idea of thou need not swerve the bullet bring it right right it, right it was from a poem of uh, someone trapped on the Bataan Peninsula POW in the Bataan Death March. So it carried a very special meaning to me. The, 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 the interesting thing is that like two weeks, two months later, I get back, right? And, uh, you know, it was patrolling and that's when we got shot. Yeah, right. And, <laughs> right? That's what's so unbelievable to me about it. I mean, it... Yeah. Like, so it's like the moral of the story is don't tempt the war gods. Yeah, right, uh, right. Mar- is, right. Who's who's the war god? Is it Mars or who who's the... Mars, Ares, Mars, Mars Ares, is like right. the uh, Roman equivalent. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it's it, it was bizarre because you know not not two months after I got that tattoo, I was you know got hit by that bullet, and um, the thing is though, like I didn't die from it. I came back, and it's 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 more like uh, the, the meaning of that has changed for me, and and yeah. um, you know, thou need not swerve the bullet. It's not necessarily a bravado thing, like bring it, yeah. right? But it's it's um, an acceptance of what life can can throw at us and 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 our ability to respond to it to integrate it uh, and and most importantly to derive meaning in those experiences using them to our advantage hey good people i am here to remind you that this podcast is only capable of growing based on your word of mouth I mean, I talk about it, but it's a little different when the host of the show talks about it than when somebody that loves the show talks about it. I can put it up in my Instagram feed, but that's an ad. I mean, people are looking at you like, well, of course you're posting a little post about your podcast. You're supposed to. Yeah, you know, what, what, you don't like your own podcast? Of course you're going to do that. Well, it means so much more when one of you writes something about it, posts something about it, sends an episode to a friend because they think something in it is valuable enough to do that for, um, or leaves a review in iTunes. The way to do that is to use this link, bit.ly, bit.ly forward slash Andy Petronic Podcast. Um, it will open up the podcast in iTunes. You'll be able to leave a review. And that's that. So if you're so inclined, it would behoove me, behoove the podcast, behoove our guests, behoove the world, because these stories get out to more people, to say something about it. Say something on social media. Um, and um, do us the favor. Do us all the favor. And um, yeah, thanks. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, it's a little like the words of... Um is it Rudyard Kipling's? Um, there's another poem. God, there's a CrossFit named Invictus. A little like I'm I'm the captain of my ship. I'm the uh, something about my fate and my soul. Um, you know, like the a willingness to accept my fate and right. the courage to keep going no matter what my fate happens to be. Precisely, you know, it's. Um you know, life, life hits all of us. Right. Right. And, um, there's maybe the biggest thing that I've learned, uh, throughout this entire journey is, is that healing is a journey. It's never a fixed point in time. And, and transformation is a journey. It's never a fixed point in time. 
and that the the courage it takes to one to to go within to understand ourselves to emanate from that place first it takes more courage to do that than it does to set foot on any battlefield um and similarly it takes courage to surrender to this this process of life like knowing that knowing that we 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 don't necessarily know how we're going to respond to the events of tomorrow when they occur um we 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 can do our very best to prepare for that to to adapt to it when it occurs but when I started getting overconfident and thinking that I had this thing licked, that I had my emotional past defeated, that's when it came back to bite me the most, you know? And, and just briefly, what I mean by that is, is, you know, there's a point in the book where I think you just got through it, where, where, or, or you're about to get to it, where I, I left this assignment at Fort Riley, Kansas, um, just, speaking circuit was was at its peak um you know i was in command i i i ran myself into the ground and almost died again because of it um and i walked out of that assignment 30 pounds lighter a career-ending surgery from crohn's disease because i wasn't taking care of myself and a divorce you know and it's it's like i was just broken leaving that place and I kind of put that stuff behind me. I moved to California. Things were sort of revamping, and I and I kind of fell into this trap of believing that I I got this. You know, I, I started feeling better. I transitioned out of the military, started working for Tesla. You know, I was kind of on cloud nine, just out here in the private sector. Things were good. Mm-hmm. And what happened is 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 that shield of my story that I was hiding behind before this this um, you know near death experience or, or whatever that was. That shield, that 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 necessity to be able to make an impact in the lives of others, transitioned into relationships, unhealthy relationships. You know, wh- wh- where I I I found myself um, gravitating towards towards women uh, who oftentimes had extremely traumatic pasts of their own. I kind of became this rescuer, this savior. Uh, again, with all the best of intentions, but totally blowing off what the truth was within me uh, without even knowing that. And the bottom line is, you know, I I described guilt and shame as a form of cancer. Mm -hmm. You know, at the beginning, we're at stage one and it, it kind of infects the deepest, darkest corners of our soul without us even knowing it, yet subtly starts to control our lives in ways we don't even understand. And before long, we're at stage four and in crisis, you know, and, and that's almost precisely what happened. This, this, the shame and guilt kind of went into a remission. I believed I had it licked, right? But it just found a different way to exploit, a different way to express that turned into alcohol and unhealthy relationships. Uh, and, and, and certainly uh, a couple more big crashing points again, before I finally got the hint, um, how did that happen? I, uh, you know, about two years ago, w- went through a massive relationship failure that just was very sudden, very abrupt. I was all in, and it just rocked me back to that point I was describing uh, when, when we mentioned Ed Cartole and the limit situation, the yep. complete fog, right? Yep. And in that moment, as much as I tried to to um, participate in a true healing process. For, for, for that 10 years, right? It's, it's like 
that point in time, that true rock bottom fog, which was worse than anything I experienced before, that was the first time that I truly got honest with myself. Hmm. And I, I had to ask a couple questions. You know, I, I had to start asking the questions like, why are my reactions to these relationship failures so severe? You know, why am I spiraling so deeply in, in, into the into these this abyss, right? Um, and I knew how dangerous it was. And I started referring to this book that I read um, by a guy named John Bradshaw. Oh, yeah. I know uh, John Bradshaw. Psychologist, right? Yep. yep. So he wrote a book called Healing the Shame That Binds You. I've read it. Yep. Absolutely. Amazing book, right? <laughs> <laughs> Amazing book, yeah. So, so there's a quote in there that he says, to a shame-based person, uh, which means to a person carrying unresolved shame from whatever the source in their past. But to a shame-based person, abandonment in relationships is akin to death. We have rejected ourselves, and when the people closest to us abandon us, it, 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 it reinforces the fact that we're worth less than other human beings, right? And in these moments, in these rock-bottom moments, I, I had to finally ask, you know, if we take Bradshaw's words to be true – then that would mean that I'm carrying unresolved shame from something because this sure feels like it's akin to death. <laughs> right, totally. Yep. And, and at that point, that's where the truth really started to emerge, right? And I, I really started to uncover the truth behind trauma. Did you have to um, go back to earlier stretches in life from childhood stuff? Like how did you get there and where, where did it end up? What, what were some of the corners it was lurking around? Is that okay to ask? I don't even I don't yeah, know. Oh, you're okay sharing. Yeah, absolutely. No, this is what I talk about. I mean, we, we, we get this out in the public for, you know, conversations like this in order to, to kind of allow people to look at it maybe through a different lens. Yeah, in, right. In and what's interesting is the whole time on the speaking circuit, right? I mean, man, I was interacting with the best behavioral clinicians out there. I was briefing at behavioral health conferences I had like a clinical understanding of this topic of post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. Right? Yet I still failed to recognize the symptoms within myself. Well, you know what I thought was really interesting in your book was you said that you didn't really have any of the traditional symptoms. You no. didn't like all the symptoms that you knew were on paper, dot, 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 were not showing up for you. So what I can't remember what you said now after, after reading that section of the book, the, what, what, uh, there's more to it than that, but what, what was that? What 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 am I missing? So what we uh, what, what what traditionally has what I kind of call this? It's more of a stigmatized view of post traumatic stress disorder, right? PTSD, which I don't even like using that term. Um, but uh, anyway, when we look at when we look at things like like people in the post trauma state, there's a couple ways that we can respond. The thing that we tend to think of uh, culturally, you know, how it's been portrayed in the media, uh, X, XYZ, the stigma around it, right, is, is what's called hyper arousal symptoms, you know, being in hyper states of anxiety, yeah. um, nightmares, night sweats, panic attacks, uh, being jumpy at loud noises, being triggered by large crowds, etc. right? Yep. These are things that are absolutely valid, right, that, that many people can experience in the post-trauma state. Um, and I'm not negating them, yep. right? Yep. But what I am saying is, one, I've never experienced any of those. Um, and, and yet I was still falling into these deep suicidal spirals, this emotional numbness. 
And many of the people who I've worked with over the years, like I continue to see this as kind of the suppressed side of trauma. A, a lot of people don't experience hyper arousal symptoms. Mm -hmm. What they do experience is, is much harder to quantify. It's, it's much harder to see on the surface, but it's, it's what's called the hypo arousal symptoms. Mm -hmm. It's the emotional withdrawal. It's the numbness. It's the depression. It's the social isolation. Uh, which which can be just as deadly and devastating, uh, especially since they kind of hide in the shadows and they're much less discussed, right? Uh, so so it's really a spectrum that that we could experience as we start to overcome adversity, uh, hyper arousal symptoms, right? Which can be kind of sometimes more obvious to see on the surface to point to the hypo arousal symptoms, uh, much more difficult to see or, and, and express in words. Yeah, right. And, and that's kind of where I, I, I place my focus today. Yeah, I relate to that. Um, my, co my the very first life coach I used to work with used to call it going dark. Like, because yeah. I used to go dark and, uh, you know, just disconnecting from the world, disconnecting from my, especially the people that mean the most, you know, right. one word answers. My relationships used to, you know, that would be a continuous source of challenge in my relationships was you know, them doing everything they could to engage with me. And I was unengageable. I, you know, right. like one, you know, like on one hand, I would love the attention I was getting from that significant other. It was obvious that they loved me, that they cared for me, that they, you know, and I wanted that. And on the other hand, I was like, leave me alone. Get the fuck, get, right. get the hell away from me, you know? Um, and that was, uh, yeah, going dark was what she called that. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's, it's a great example. Um, it, it, you know, as 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 I kind of look back on this, and and what really allowed me to uncover the truth behind all of this, uh, honestly, was going through the process of writing this book was huge. Um, you know, as as I approached this book, it's it's again, I I, I want to do it with a good intent to try to make a, a you know, positive difference in the lives of others. And I kind of describe it as if, if I was to write a book on business and screw it up, somebody might make a bad business decision, right? Sure. Right. If I'm writing a book on emotional trauma, psychological trauma and screw it up, it could be damaging to people. Sure. Right. 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 So I, I had to, um, I found myself in a position where I'd be pacing around my house for hours, days, an entire weekend to kick out a paragraph of this thing. Wow. You know, I, I'm, I'm thinking about like, how's a rape survivor going to take this? How's a school teacher going to take this? How, you know, just uh, in, in the most humble and approachable way possible was I, I didn't want to minimize anyone's experience or, or lead people down the wrong path. And, and doing that not only required me to like deeply process the stuff, but, but to go even much deeper and, and to be able to convey it in a way that, that others could potentially benefit from it as well. Yep. Um, and, and in that, pro that, that like three year process of, of, of writing this book and the final product that's here now, um, that was, was one of the most transformational things in my life. Wow. Um, all of it is directly translatable to what I do on stage now. Like the, 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 the speaking ability, the talks, the things I discuss, like it, it in, in the end, it's, it's like what we were talking about before we went live here with you, 
uh, we, we were talking about CrossFit and working out and, yep, and, yep. and going internal, right? Uh, same thing with life in general, right? That, that parallels there. Uh, where, where I became the most effective in, in what I do was when I had the courage to go within first. Yeah, right. <laughs> you right. know, to, to, to build up my core, right? And, and to, to, to emanate from that position first, you know, which is, um, there can, there can be a fine line between, uh, you know, the desire to serve and sacrifice for others. But if, if I'm, if I'm neglecting to do that, that self-leadership, if I'm neglecting to lead myself, it's going to compromise my ability to impact others. I've got a um, what might sound like a childish, boyish, silly question. Uh, <laughs> um, you said that the I love bu- you said that the bullet, you know, like you just one of those things that uh, you know when somebody's in the room that has lost an arm or lost a leg or has a disfigurement or something, and nobody in the room is addressing that thing, and then a kid walks up to him is five years old. Hey, what's wrong with your leg? Or where'd your leg go? Or where'd your you know what's what happened to your nose? You know, like it's right. it's the question everybody wants to know the answer to. Now, I'm not saying that this question that I had is the one everybody wants to ask, but because mo- if you haven't read your book, you wouldn't even have thought to ask this. But um, I like to ask those questions. Um, yeah. What you said, the bullet that hit you, and your was it was he your platoon sergeant or he was not? Because you had another sergeant that took over for both of you guys. Yep. What what was he? Is Mar Marlin right? Yep. So so Marlon Harper, uh, he was a staff sergeant, uh, and he was considered to be the senior scout. Oh, it is a scout okay. platoon, senior scout of the platoon. So he was basically this this the second highest non commissioned officer in that platoon. Okay. Um, the nature of that deployment mandated that we basically split our platoon in half, so we could be out in the environment twenty four seven. Right. Right. And um, my so so a lot of the work that I did was paired with Marlon on the non-commissioned officer side and staff sergeant or sergeant first class Eric Smith, the platoon sergeant, typically ran the night patrols. Gotcha, so. gotcha. Okay, gotcha. You said that the bullet that hit you guys was the size of a fist. So it, it was a what happened? It, it was it was an anti-aircraft weapon. Jeez, uh, like a fifty cal, standard. like that kind of a bullet, or was it? Yep. And, and what what happened is is you know we we to our knowledge. Uh, we had never seen a weapon of that caliber used as a sniper rifle on dismounted troops uh, before um, in in this war, you know, at least in Iraq. Because you but can't, what is, I mean, because tell people, I mean, a 50 cal, you can't just, car- you can't just carry it around. I mean, that size of a weapon is like, I don't know how much it weighs, but it's too much to just hoof around. You know, you're pretty stationary when you've got something like that. Yep. They, they, they had all kinds of different, uh, very innovative ways to engage us uh, that would kind of blow your mind. But uh, bottom line is, it, it, this was done by a very professional team. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're we're very confident in that. Uh, highly trained. It was a complex ambush, uh, but this bullet actually went through the left arm of my senior non-commissioned officer, Marlon Harper. Uh, egg, severed his aorta and then exited out of his chest. And, and the heat of the round actually fused to part of his armor plate, which so when it ricocheted from him into my thigh, uh, it was it was like this mangled piece of metal the size of a fist that just blew out 
uh, my inner thigh femoral artery. Wow. Uh, pretty much down to the bone. Uh, you know, if, if, if that bullet would have hit me first, there'd be no prayer, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and kind of as the case in Marlin, he, he was, he was killed almost instantly. Right. Um, right. You know, but yeah, that's, that's, that's what it was. It was, and even another piece of that round took, uh, you know, hit, hit, broke off and hit one of my interpreters. Really? Uh, a, a minor wound. Yeah. So it was, it was a devastating single shot. Wow. Yeah. I've never heard of such thing. I mean, I've never heard of, a. um, it was really fat. I'm like, God, that must be a misprint. And I'm like, then I thought, nope, there's no, there are no misprints in this book. <laughs> that is not a, no way. <laughs> not details like that. You know, it, it was, it was pretty wild, man. You, you know, the, the, the thing is though, it's, it's like the, the biggest honor in this whole thing for me, um, was, you know, it, it was about probably roughly 30 minutes between the point I was hit and the point I took my last breath in the aid station. Right. And I, I remained conscious through that entire process and was able to witness everything. And it, it was just phenomenal to watch a highly trained team perform in the face of crisis just perfectly, you know, and to, to see all that skill, all that training come to, come to work in a situation like this was, it was humbling. And it, it was the day where I really truly learned what it meant to be part of a team, uh, to be part of the army um, and, and kind of just the spirit of, of human beings and what they're capable of in situations like this is, is phenomenal. Were you concerned after you were hit or were, was anyone else around you concerned that there was a bigger ambush planned and there were more people in, in jeopardy? I mean, is that something that actually you, could you formulate those kinds of thoughts when that was happening? Well, that that's always a threat. Um, I, I was, um, in fact, that actually happened. You, you know, the, you know, we again we didn't know until afterwards, but we we were kind of pulled into a complex, a very complex ambush. Yep. And um, they they actually had mortar rounds dialed in on the aid station as well, which I didn't even hear going off, but. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, apparently when I was actually in that aid station, the medics were doing their work under fire from wow. mortar fire. Wow. Right? So, because they, they, they knew that's where they'd evacuate us to, yep. right? Yep. So, yeah, there's there's always secondary, tertiary effects. Uh, you're always thinking as far ahead as you possibly can. Uh, sometimes that's minutes, hours, years, uh, whatever it is, but you're always kind of thinking of the potentiality. Uh, what could happen? Were you immediately concerned for your life when that occurred? I mean, were not you not at all? <laughs> I didn't even know. You know, there's uh, so so it's 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 amazing um, how the body responds yeah. in situations like this to to survive. Um, and I went through a progression of different phases like over that 30 minute period as I was dying. And initially I didn't even know that I was shot. Right. It it was, um, and throughout this whole thing, there was no physical pain, um, at all. That doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, like I can't even really (laughs) fathom how that's possible. You miss, you, you're missing a chunk of your leg, right? Like the size of a softball. Well, yeah. And the body, um, the body is geared towards survival. Yeah. It, it's, 
geared towards I mean logically shopping. logically it makes sense sorry I right. sorry didn't mean to interrupt I can no, I no. can I no, can definitely hear you say that and go yeah yeah I guess so right the body, but it but it doesn't make any sense still <laughs> it's it's wild man like the, the uh you know the body in a catastrophic injury the body will shut down everything that it doesn't need yeah. in order to survive right and in this case, like I, that was a pain, physical pain. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, right. No physical pain. Uh, later on, I, I felt the only kind of pain I experienced was an anaerobic pain. Um, you know, because you're when you're dying of blood loss, you're essentially suffocating. Right. Right. Uh, so, so it felt like I was doing, you know, pick your hardest CrossFit workout and, and imagine you're you're doing that, but just unable to stop, right, at, at all. And that that's kind of what it felt like. Uh, pure anaerobic pain, but in the beginning, um, I, I didn't even know that. It, it, it's sort of um, when that bullet first hit me, things went into slow motion. Uh, they transitioned. You know, at, at first, it kind of the impact of that round felt like I was being picked up by the swell of an ocean wave. Hmm. You know, if you're just sort of standing in the surf and a wave slowly comes in, yeah, that's what it felt like like slow motion. Hmm. Um, it's like it's and like it, a scene out of the Matrix or something, you know? Like yeah, it kind of was. It kind of was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's what it, yeah, I like that. That's a good description. Uh, yeah, and then like that slow motion. I I looked with with like crystal clarity into Marlon's eyes, and and just saw him slowly fall to the ground. Right, and, and then just in in instinctually, I I drug him to safety. So, I mean, here, here you got, you know, like you said, I had a blown out femoral, didn't know it. Um, and was fortunate to, to not like hesitate and, and just, um, yeah. Immediate reaction was to, was to help him. Right. Started to strip his gear off, but, but that slow motion time transitioned to this sense of fast motion time, right. Where here's a 250 pound guy blown out femoral artery in me. And he just felt like a feather, you know, um, had his gear off just instantly. It felt like, you know, you're dealing with all these straps and buckles, but it usually yeah, takes yeah, a yeah. gear off, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was just like, boom, boom, boom. And especially when it's somebody else's, like your own is actually a lot easier than somebody else's cause you've done it over and over again, but somebody else's right. gear, you don't know where yep. the straps are. You don't know where they buckled it. It's much harder. That's why a yep. lot of times people will revert to knives or whatever to cut gear off. Cause it's so hard to unstrap it. Exactly. Yeah, but, but what happened is it's, it's. I mean, this is about as dark humor as you can get, I guess. But um, you know, I, I I rip his gear off and, and see clearly that his his aorta is severed. Yeah. You know, and and while I was dragging him, I was calling up on the radio to our medic. You know, we have two casualties, and I, huh. I said that twice. And the second time, I could barely say it because I was like already getting out of breath. Yeah, and it was. I realized that something was wrong. I, I didn't know how badly I was injured, but something w- w- was wrong. And I, I, I remember when the, when the medic got to me, he, he grabbed me and he said, sir, who's the second casualty? <laughs> and I wow. said, I am. <laughs> and I, I so you knew out. inherently knew, but you were just impervious to the pain and the, you know, you weren't going to let that stop you. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Wow. You know, it's, um, but, but, you know, it, it's almost like with the medic's arrival, there was a sense of safety with yes, that, yes. you know, yeah. that I could kind of pass the situation off to him. Yep. And, and it's almost like at that point, my body collapsed and I, I went into this, the only way I can describe it is, is like almost a sense of subconsciousness 
for a minute. Like, you know that scene in the end of Gladiator <laughs> when he's, his body's sort of floating above the flowers and, and uh, you know, he's sort of in this surreal state as, yep. he's, as he's about to die? That's almost what it felt like. Like, my, my, I, I, was, I was, like, drifting into this deeper and deeper sleep. I just wanted to do nothing more than to let go. You know, no pain, no nothing. I was falling into sleep and my men started to drag me, right? So, so I was moving. I, could, I still remember how it sounded grinding against the ground. Wow. But, but again, I felt safety. I, I was feeling like there's nothing more I can do. It's okay. Let go. And what snapped me out of that is I, I heard one of my guys uh, just yell to me at the top of his lungs, come on, sir, stay awake. Huh. Right? Yeah. And, and even in that state that I was in, I could hear the emotional pain in his voice, you know, and, and I, I realized in that instant that, that like, I'm still in the game. I still have a breath. I have to do everything that I possibly can to help them help me. Right. And, and to, to lead them through this situation as broken as I was, like I was still their leader. Right. And it's, it's like the power of that moment, like literally woke me back up and, and caused me to fight the rest of the way. Um, man it's it's just it's just so powerful what um that that camaraderie uh that tribe mentality can can do in those situations you know i I realized in that moment that the injury wasn't about me it was about the team it was about the families it was about everyone yeah you know so that's what you're fighting for in that moment um which is pretty powerful stuff yeah i mean i just get the word service you know serving others you know, as uh, it was probably, I mean, you know, look, I never went through anything remotely close to what you went through. But when I got out of the Marines, the only thing that was really, really, really hard for me was leaving the the people, the connections and the camaraderie and the friendships and leadership, you know, the, the my my superiors and my and the people that I led. That was really, really, really hard. Um, and it's interesting your experience of service in the moment that you're dying as more important than even your own, your own life. (laughs) It's, it's, um, yeah, it's, you know, man, there's, there's, uh, some wild moments embedded in that. I mean, you know, to kind of share one of the more funny ones with you, um, so when, when I was in the aid station, right. Uh, you know, they, they were stripping my gear off. They, is the aid station uh, kind of like a mash unit? Like, like the old show yeah, mash. Yeah. yeah. To clarify that this was a, I was evacuated to one. If I was in Afghanistan, I probably wouldn't have made it. Right. Um, cause we were, we most likely would have been too remote and, and we were just very lucky to be only about a 10 minute drive from the closest aid station. Uh, which was, yes, it's like a mash unit. It was called a level two care facility. Mm -hmm. So they just had very rudimentary basic equipment there, Uh, but a dynamite trauma team, Mm -hmm. uh, trauma unit, right? And, uh, you know, to to just put this into perspective, the the, the defibrillator paddles that they used to shock me back to life came into the base that very morning. That's incredible. And they, they had to take them out of the plastic to use them on you know, the, the, uh, the guy that was doing CPR on me for a full 15 minutes straight, 
just happened to be uh, a former football lineman who weighed about 260, you know, and 6'6", you know, huge right. guy, right? Right. The nature of that thing, I was basically evacuated laying on a cot. Right. And they couldn't uh, – nobody else could reach to get the proper leverage to do CPR. So he had to actually stand on an, on an MRE box, you know, a box. <laughs> with, 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 here's Holy this 6'6 cow. guy just – you know, if anyone's ever done CPR yeah, live hard. or on a dive, like even the people in best shape are going to be exhausted after about three minutes. Right. Yep, and, yep. and he went for a full 15, just pouring sweat, never stopped. Wow, right. Wow. And I mean, it's just like situations like that over and over and over again that happened. I, I, um, but I mean, one of the things in there, so this is where it gets really bizarre is, is, you know, as right before I got to the aid station, I, I was, uh, you know, in a Bradley fighting vehicle, a transport vehicle, uh, the medic rode with me and cinched up a tourniquet and he was just trying to keep me conscious and I was trying to stay conscious. And that's where the real fight for my life began. That, that's where this anaerobic pain set in. Mm-hmm. It, it felt like I had given blood 20 times over, you know, and, and just barely staying conscious. Uh, but my goal was to make it to that trauma team and did uh, but, but as I'm on the table, you know, it just, it just started to change pretty dramatically. And, and, you know, as, as I mentioned, the, the body will actually try to pull the remaining blood it has to the chest cavity Yep, yep. to protect its vital organs. And I could literally feel the blood creeping out of my extremities, gravitating towards the chest cavity. And as that happened, it became harder and harder to breathe. But a little story embedded in this is that, uh, that not many people know. So I'll share it with you guys. Cool, cool. <laughs> but, uh, I had a big wad of Copenhagen chewing tobacco in my mouth when I got shot. Right. And, uh, didn't think to spit it out. It, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the first thing on my mind. And I, and I remember in the transport vehicle, you know, my medic who's only 19 years old, just sent up this tourniquet. And suddenly I feel this finger come into my mouth he sweeps away the Copenhagen, throws it to the side, and just keeps going like nothing happened, you know, because clearly it posed a choking hazard. Yeah, right. And and it, 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 in that moment, I, I just remember thinking, wow, you know, here's this 19-year-old kid in the middle of a catastrophe, and he still remembered to do his secondary checks. Yeah, right, right. And in that moment, I just I stopped thinking about dying. It all fell away, and, and I, was, I just felt like I was incredible in just such incredible hands. And just so proud of him, of the whole situation, even in that moment. Hmm. Uh, well, it happened a little later in the aid station is I, I you know, as I was literally probably like two or three minutes away from death, there was still a little piece of Copenhagen trapped in my mouth. And it was, it was bothering me so much because I was just horribly thirsty. Like couldn't, can't even describe the level of thirst this was. And I, and there was this, this female soldier at the at, at basically positioned over my head who was placing the oxygen mask on me. Mm-hmm. And um, I, like the Copenhagen made it harder to breathe and I was trying to spit it out, but I didn't want to spit on her. Mm-hmm. Right? You're still so thinking kind of, about it. It's amazing. You're thinking about that. That just is bizarre. Yeah, this, this is like we're like three minutes from death here. Yeah. This is what I'm thinking about, man. And it's, it's like I remember like swatting the mask away a couple times because I felt like it made it harder to breathe. Yeah. And I noticed this pattern that w- w- when whenever I slapped it away, there'd be like a timing about it and she'd put it back on. And I was like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to slap it away 
and I'm going to time it so then when the mask comes back on, I'll spit the Copenhagen into the mask so it doesn't go on her. <laughs> <laughs> right? So I swat it away. The mask starts to come in. She sees me starting to spit, and I spit, and it, it almost hits her in the face. <laughs> And oh as, as much as I could, man, I tried to say I'm sorry, yeah. but I couldn't. I couldn't even speak the words. Yeah, right, right. right. It's like literally, like two minutes later, I was wow. gone. Yeah, wow, but it, it's just kind of ridiculous. What, uh, what you think? <laughs> Well, John, so like two minutes later, you, you went. And I, you know, I think it'd be crazy for me to have you as a guest on the podcast and not to ask you about the, the one question that probably everybody wants to know is what's on the other side? What, yeah. you know, you died. You, you did something yeah. that almost no one gets to do and, and, and live. What, what, was that, what was that like for you? It, it, you know, I'll, I'll start by saying that um, I did not have uh, any type of out-of-body experience in the traditional sense that we think about it, like floating above my body. I didn't see a white light. Um, in that transition, things really just faded to black, right? But what I did experience, I think, was even more profound because I know I was conscious for it. And... And what I'm referring to here is really the progression over the last minute. Um, and one, two things happen, right? The first thing that happened is it's not as if life flashed before my eyes. This is, this is a point this last minute where I realized the injury was getting out of control, where I realized I was a couple breaths away. Uh, and in that moment, life didn't flash before my eyes, but I do believe what was most important to me was revealed in those final moments. And, instinctively I started to repeat three names in my mind over and over and over again. And that was my mom and my two sisters uh, rapidly right up until the end. But in the end, and I mean the, the last breath, the precise transition from life to death, that moment is, is again, I can only describe that as a feeling of absolute surrender to something much greater than ourselves. And, and, and through that, what was this incredible sense of peace, like every, every good, every bad, every positive, every negative, every doubt, every hope, everything just fell away. And, and it's, it's almost as if the spirit became part of everything and nothing at the same time. You know, this is something people of Eastern religious traditions may call an absolute pure moment of awareness. Uh, some of us might call it the absolute pure love of God um, it, it, it's, it, it's a, a feeling that I can barely even do justice to trying to describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, and ironically, it's, it's, it's something that has, um, since then brought peace to, or, or helped bring peace to a lot of other people, uh, sometimes on their deathbeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, my own grandfather was an example of that. Uh, we kind of told him this. He was refusing to let go. He was in hospice. He was in extreme pain. And I told my mom this for the first time a couple years ago in this moment, uh, what that what that felt like. And I said, Mom, if you think this is appropriate, tell him this, right? And that night she whispered it in his ear and he died 10 minutes later it, it peacefully, wow. you know? And it's, it's, it's like, um, I, I, for whatever reason, I've been getting this, this, weird question 
um, <laughs> just over the last month that I've never gotten before from audiences. And, and th- that question is, do you fear anything? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, um, that question I, definitely I almost, crossed my mind. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's almost like it, it that I almost, I stumbled to answer that question. I ironically never got it before. Hmm. Um, yeah. What's, what's interesting about it is that, that if I fear anything, right, it's not necessarily death. It's the loss of the, the thing that I believe is most important in life is, is the relationships with one another, love, love. Right. And if it, the, the, the only fear for me associated with this is like the loss of that love, like what's going to happen. Right. And it's almost like the farther that I get from my own experience <laughs> in that own moment, I've actually had to start reminding myself what that felt like in that final moment, that, that, that feeling that everything falls away, that it's, it's more grand and complex than, than we could ever possibly describe. Mm-hmm. And, and, and whatever's racing around in our minds right now, whatever we fear right now, all of it falls away. All of it is okay right. in that final moment. Right. And, and it's, it's just a, um, it, it, it's a, it's a profound uh, thought, <laughs> right. To, to yeah. be able to, because we kind of tend to think or naturally assume that that uh, this peaceful feeling in the end just means all the bad is taken away. Yep. Right. Yeah. What I'm saying here is actually much bigger than that. That that all we perceive as good is also taken away, and it, it's just this absolute pureness of spirit of life of whatever we choose to define that as. Um, well, judgment. I, so I, judgment goes away. There's no because you know good and good and bad is really just our own thinking, right? right. I mean, it. You say one thing's good, and I say no, that's not so good. That's bad. And somebody else says no, that's good. No, somebody else is like no, that's medium. You know, like that's just our own fabrication, our own mental picture of of life. So, uh, you know, I yeah, it makes sense to me that that goes away. Yeah, logically, it's, it's very, logically, very again. This is one of those logical things I can understand, but I really can't understand fully. Yeah, it's this. It's, it's hard to uh, it, it, it. It's really difficult to place it into words. It's hard to conceptualize. Yeah, um, but it, it, it is kind of the gift of this entire experience um, that that ironically has even started to help me. <laughs> hmm. um, Lately, you know, as I, I cause to, to remind myself of that is, is, is a really important thing to be able to do. Um, so, of course, I fear things. I, I'd be concerned if I didn't. Yeah, right. You know? You'd be, you wouldn't be alive. I mean, really, no, I, I mean, it, isn't it a human? It's probably a human condition, but it's funny that we think that. We wonder, yeah. you know, because you've, you know, I would have the same question for a guy like Laird Hamilton or I don't know if you know who he is. He's a big wave surfer, you know, and or some of the guys that, that go do, you know, put their life life on the line um i i think courage is not the absence of fear it's the willingness to take action in spite of the fear and i don't yeah i don't see fear going away you know right um anytime soon and i'm no expert but you're con- you're kind of confirming that you know like yeah it's not gone i'm totally yep and and it's like not just fear it's the spectrum of emotion that we experience, yep. you know, happy, sad, glad, yeah. mad, right? All, all, all this stuff, you know, we, 
we kind of have these perceptions of running away from one and, and, and trying to gravitate towards the other. And, and kind of what I've learned is, or what I feel is, is that um, our degree of plasticity in, in order to uh, operate within the range of emotions is kind of a sign of emotional health. Yep. Right, like yep. like our ability to to operate within a larger emotional bandwidth, um, and then return to the center of gravity, is 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 what really propels us to to experience and value life. You know, because all emotions are there for a reason. All all have yeah. value, right? And it's um, that's that's the challenge, and that's the interest, that's the journey, and learning able to uh, uh, reaccess those emotions, right, and harness them. Yeah, you know, difficult thing to do when you're not used to doing it, right? It, it takes a lot of introspection, a lot of really getting in touch with yourself. It's it's a continuous journey, um, and it can be scary in itself. But but it's uh it's it's one that that is it it leads to this different level of of wisdom and maturity, you know, that, that uh, can broaden the perspective of life as a whole. Josh, so if you fast forward to today, how do you keep yourself your best? How do you, you know, how do you, um, you've integrated a lot of things. Obviously, it's still a journey. You're still on the journey. But what do you, do you have a morning routine you follow? Do you have a evening thing or a daily practice? Or what are the things that are really important to keeping yourself able to continue to serve like you are. Yep. Uh, so important to be able to control the things that we can control, right? And, and to kind of take ownership of our lives, our bodies, our minds, uh, daily, daily practice. Um, and I'm not perfect with this. I'm not pretending to be, but it, it, it's, it, 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 it typically consists of, uh, you know, getting up with a, a high-intensity workout, uh, in the morning, warming up and cooling down with uh, yoga, uh, dropping into a, even a short breathwork sequence uh, right afterwards, and then transitioning into some type of spiritual reading. You know, again, even if it's only for a couple minutes. How long then, is your, just out of curiosity, some details? Like, do you get up at five and do this? Is it, does it last 10 minutes? Does it last an hour? Like, what are some of the mechanics? Usually the only way that I've been able to truly protect that time is by getting up around five and, and, you know, you know, I'm, I'm typically in the, in the gym by six, um, any later than that, I found it difficult to really maintain or too yeah, right. easy to get distracted. Right. Yep. yep. So, so I, I think in the morning that's, um, th- that's been really valuable, um, obviously throughout the day I'm maintaining a hormonally balanced diet. Do you, I, one more question about the morning. Do you yep. do all that on your own? Do you take classes? Do you, is this something, because I, at first I was picturing you doing this when you woke up like in your living room or at home, but you go to the gym. So how do you incorporate the yoga and then the high intensity and then the spiritual practice? Is that all done at the gym? Yeah, I, I actually, um, so this little gym, I live in downtown San Jose and there's this, uh, little gym that kind of has a side room if you buy the elevated the highest membership ah, and it's this uh-huh. cool little side room that basically has all gear needed to do any type of crossfit workout or interval training or whatever yep bumper plates all the whole bit 
and usually at that time in the morning, I'm the only one in there. Right. So right. I love it. Man. I, I'm, I'm in there solo. The, you know, the workouts, the workout itself is, is, you know, with the integration of the yoga is typically an hour, hour and a half tops. Yep. Uh, and then I, I usually carry some type of spiritual type book with me. Oh, cool. Um, you know, I think what's in my bag right now is Marcus Aurelius meditations. Yep. You yep. Know? And I'll just, before I even leave the gym, I'll, I'll just sit there after doing breath work and, and just read through a, a, a couple, you know, maybe a chapter of that, that book Yep. before leaving. And, cool. and that like the most important facet of this practice is, is, it, it, it's, it, you know, as you well know, right. It, it, it sets you up to own the day, to totally. control right. the day. Yep. Right. Win the morning, and, win the day. Totally. I, I fully buy yep. into that. Yep. And I, I always tell people too, like I started smaller with this and as I get, um, you know, I, I have worked with people who, you know, they'll, they'll almost get intimidated by the sound of you know, an hour and a half every morning or, yeah. or, or you know, I haven't worked out in 10 or 20 years. So I'm like, look, you know, let's, let's start as small as possible. Can you wake up and do 10 pushups consistently yeah. and maybe eat a little bit of a healthier breakfast? You know, can you, can you walk around the block once really fast, <laughs> Right. you know, or, right. or practice, you know, and it's like, it, it kind of goes into how I really learned to integrate breath work into my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, for years, man, I, I had people, telling me like, yeah, just lay in bed in the morning and take 20 breaths before you get out of bed and, and you'll, you'll see why it works. And I, I was like too anxious. I couldn't do it. You know, I, I, I uh-huh. like, I couldn't get through like two breaths and I want to jump out of bed. So I, I, I kind of met him in the middle and, and what I started to do was breath work while I was working out. You know, cool. I, I started with just one conscious breath a day. And that felt good. So I naturally moved to two and mm-hmm. then that turned to four. And now I integrate breath work into everything just naturally. You know, my heart coherence is it's pretty much perfect. Um, I even do it on stage when I'm giving talks and, and, and everything. So I love how you're, you were willing to experiment and explore and find the path, find your own path that was appropriate for you rather than listening to dogma or someone else trying to tell you we, we, we you know we do that a lot in the whole life challenges we tell people look these are our, these are ideas but you've got to be you got to be an explorer you, you can't yeah. you can't just it's funny i heard it the other day put um the difference between exploration and researching you know you can research all you want research is the guy on the sidelines who's reading about it about how to do it and you can be you can just get ca- completely caught up in how do you do breath work? And you could you could probably go down eighteen wormholes in how to do it, and never do it, right? <laughs> you know. And uh, I I think you know the credit belongs to the people who are willing to just start, just start. You know, if you can walk around the block, walk around the block. It's great. It's great. I love that, man. I mean, that how you describe that in terms of exploring is is like that alone is giving people permission. Yeah, you just you, know, you might like screw it up eighteen times, but that's okay. You'll find your yeah. way. You keep going. You'll your find practice, your way. Your practice is yours, yeah. right? It, it, and it's as small as it may seem. Uh, it's not small to you, you know. It's, yeah, it's, right. Uh, yeah, cause, I mean, when you first told me what you did, I was intimidated. Actually, I mean, and I've been doing this stuff for twenty five years. I'm like, geez, he gets up at five and then high intent. I'm like, I started. I started judging myself. Actually. <laughs> I don't do that. I mean, I'm not, not from a real negative place, but I can look back and go, the thoughts going through my head were, 
wow, that's impressive. That's really cool that you're that you're able to. And it's just not what I you know. It nothing to do with. I just fall into the trap. We're all human. Like I, I think everybody kind of has that kind of a response. Like somebody hears that I meditate in the morning or or do journaling, and they're like, "Oh God, wow, that's pretty good." He's got a, you know, it's the same thing. We all we all yeah. do it. Um. So so, what are some of your other? You were you were about to say, and then I I forced you to go back and give me more details of your morning. What are some of the other things you do to keep yourself sharp? Well, you know, one thing that I uh, have have just come to believe in so much is the power of of reading. <laughs> you know, the mm-hmm. power of of constantly constantly striving to learn more. You know, and I'm I'm in grad school right now studying consciousness. Uh, very wow. Wow. very interesting. Uh, degree that's happening there is just opening up my mind in, in so many different ways. Uh, and it's interesting when, when, when things really get intense with that, I've almost been able to apply the same intensity to academic study uh, as, as I do interval training or, or, or working out. You know, yep, yep. I found that, you know, just droning out and trying to read really dense literature all day long for eight, 10 hours, whatever it is, um, was counterproductive. And I, I realized I was just zoning out too much yep, or yep. getting really fatigued. So I started breaking that down into how about I do 30 to 45 minute intervals of intensity and then take, take like a 15 minute break, you know, and then hit that. And I became much more productive like that. Cool. Um, cool. But I mean, you, you are a pretty, uh, I mean, I would say that you, your past, I mean, given that you studied Arabic and I mean, the, 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 the level of uh, knowledge that you possess even before you're now studying more stuff is pretty, pretty impressive. So, um, you know, uh, it's good to hear that you even have to work at that. Like it's, you know, like some people would say that you have a level of mastery that they'll, they'll never get to. But I hear you, what you're saying is even at that level of mastery, you have to come up with ways for you to continue. It's not, it doesn't necessarily come easy. (laughs) Excuse me. Never. (laughs) Yeah. I actually like, I, I I kind of feel that I'm 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 always going to need to be in grad school of some kind. <laughs> yeah, right. Life. It's like the, the more you learn, the less you understand. There, there, there's um, there's an endless endless array of information out there in a world of increasing specialization, increasing yeah. complexity. You, you know, and and our only way to really integrate all of this information together is to is to dedicate ourselves to you know seeking to learn right mm-hmm. because all of this together like it it, it enhances our ability to create yeah. right and creativity ultimately is the inverse of trauma and adversity you know the, the reason being you know traumatic experiences adverse experiences if we're unable to process them and integrate them they leave them they leave us trapped in the past Right. You know, and right. we we mentally, physically, and we're kind of left trying to uh, trying to operate in today with our prior constructs. Yep. Yep. Right. What allows us to dislodge that? You know, asymmetrically dislodge that thought process, those emotional processes. It's it's creativity. It's innovation. Right. So so if we can disrupt the way we think about the past and and constantly be on a on this razor's edge of, of, of learning, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. staying adaptive, 
that fosters creativity and innovation, right? right Which right. is the true beauty of life. That's cool. I love I love the way you put that. Um, at first, I was having trouble conceptualizing what you meant, but then as soon as you said, you know, being trapped in the past, yeah, cre- cre- creativity can't happen with the confines of the past and the judgments that come along with the past. Um, you know, creativity doesn't work so well when you're judging. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, that, that's why, um, that's why I think academic study is so important. Reading yeah. is so important. Those perspectives can dislodge us, um, you know, different activities, you know, music, uh, you know, playing a musical instrument, cooking, whatever it is that, yeah, right. that uh, uh, is, your, is your, your passion, you know, that, that diversity that you can bring to life uh, and sort of step out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. can be extremely healthy in, um, in, in fostering continuous transformation and growth. Now, do you still continue to work on your the, the shame and the guilt and the things that have, you've learned about yourself over the last 10 years? Do you continue? Do you work with a therapist? Do you have a practice around that that keeps you keeps that stuff from re- materializing perhaps yeah you know like everything it's it's um uh the the the, i i feel like i'm learning more every day and always will be Mm -hmm. uh you know so the and when it comes to guilt and shame stuff like i feel like i'm just getting started to be honest with you you know it's it's like um i i when i dig up old research studies and I'm, I'm finding different ways to apply it to the present day, you know, not, not just for me, but for the work that I do in general. And, and I, I feel like there's, there's such a vast amount of information out there that's still kind of siloed mm-hmm. right? that, that the effort to in- integrate all of these things together and become the bridge between all of them is, is, is what uh, excites me the most, you know, in, in terms of, uh, self growth and, 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 uh, you know, uh, facilitating the growth of others as well. So are you, so you continue to practice obviously, cause you are, you, you have to, you, you're, you're learning, you're in school. Um, are there any other practices you do to keep that personal? Not, not really specifically. I mean, it's, it's more being open, uh, constantly open to it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like every time I set foot on stage, I'm always learning more. Right, um, right, right, right. I love Q&A. Even this discussion we're having right here, there's different lenses through the questions you're asking, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's kind of pushing me into, into new thoughts and new processes. Right, right. Um, every time I read something or, 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 or read about a new therapeutic modality or, or a research study, I, I'm I'm open to kind of applying and molding and shaping the way that I think about things, right? While, while maintaining that foundation, so um, it, it's a it's a constant, endless interplay that that uh, is kind of that that practice, if you will. Right. Got it. Um, it. It's infused in every part of my life. Is the best way that I can say that. You know, it, right. it is. Um, That's cool. Well, I. You know, look, I, I could probably go on asking questions for another hour and a half, and uh, that would monopolize both my time, your time, and probably would get me less listeners. Because <laughs> I don't know if anybody wants to, you know, wade through that long of a podcast. Um, but what I, I want to ask you, um, just in conclusion, are what what sorts of things now, or what what would you like to leave people with, like? Um, 
you've you've got an opportunity. Let's just say this is your last opportunity to communicate something that you want to leave a mark on the world with. What what do you tell people? You know, remember that uh, trauma is relative. It it doesn't discriminate, and it's not always what it seems. Um, you know, there's a, a world-renowned psychiatrist and Holocaust survivor named Viktor Frankl, uh, who said in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, that without suffering and death, human life cannot be complete. Uh, and that the suffering we endure gives us ample opportunity to derive greater meaning in our lives. So while suffering is universal, uh, transformation is not. That's up to each one of us, right? And, uh, you know, as difficult and courageous as that journey is, it's not a journey that we need to take alone, right? That, 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 this, that the power of human connection is, is, is surrounding you. It wasn't is everywhere. And, uh, you know, there, there's, a, there's a phrase that I, I picked up from a, a therapist that I was working with one time uh, after a group therapy session uh, who, who turned to me and said, Josh, I really believe the role of a therapist is to help people suffer productively as opposed to allowing them to suffer in vain. Oh, that's cool. I like that. You know, and, and we're never going to find a more grounded definition of what therapy is, of what expert companionship is. Uh, the relationships between us uh, are th- th- than this. Yep. So, you know, be willing to look at yourself through a new lens uh, if any of this hits you and, and uh, spark conversations. You know, take this conversation farther. Take it between your friends, your family members, where it's appropriate. Uh, and, and getting these things out into the open and into the surface is, is oftentimes our greatest weapon in being able to overcome it. Josh, how do people find you? Darkersouls.com. Social media, are you? I'm also on all the social media links are on there. Great, great. Uh, they're all live. So I, the, the Facebook page is Darker Souls LLC. Okay. Uh, so I, and I your, book is, a, your book is called Darker Souls. What's the tag? What's the. Uh, yep, the book is, the title of the book is The Beauty of a Darker Soul. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, so, so, so that's on Amazon. Uh, and it's also, it's also listed on the website if you want to sign copy. <laughs> cool. So. Well, thank you again for your time. I really appreciate you being here with us and uh, sharing your story. It's really, um, <clears throat> it's like I said, it's, it's as moving now as it was when you told it um, in person. And I, I really appreciate your, me- your now your message um, um, beyond what happened after the the near-death experience is really um, you're having a tremendous impact and thank you uh, likewise Andy thank you so much and, and this was a pleasure hey it's Andy and thanks so much for listening if you want to know more about what I'm learning each month head over to andypetronic.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter if you were touched moved or inspired by anything you heard today chances are someone else you know would be too please take a moment to think about who and send them a link to this episode And if you're super stoked, please head over to iTunes to write a review. The best way to keep current on guests and episodes is to subscribe so that the latest one will automatically get delivered straight to your phone. The apps I use for this are Apple Podcasts, Overcast, or Pocket Casts. The Andy Petronic Podcast is produced by our team, Winslow Jenkins, Becca Borowski, and Ernie Hurtado. Big thanks to Nikki Grudadaria for the artwork. 
You can find all of our episodes, links, and complete show notes at wholelifechallenge.com forward slash podcast. I'm Andy Petronic. Thanks for listening.